Hello, just wanted to get ahead of this as always to remind you that this podcast contains adult language and adult themes. He had seen everything, had experienced all emotions from exhaustion to despair, had been granted a vision to the great mystery, the secret places, the primeval days before the flood. He had journeyed to the edge of the world and made his way back, exhausted but whole. He had carved his trials on a stone tablet and had restored the holy Inanna temple and the massive wall of Uruk, which no city can equal. See how its ramparts gleam like copper in the sun. Climb the stone staircase, more ancient than the mind can imagine. Approach the Inanna temple, sacred to Ishtar, a temple that no king has equaled in size or beauty. Walk on the wall of Uruk, follow its course around the city, Inspect its mighty foundations, examine its brickwork, how masterfully it is built. Observe the land it encloses, the palm trees, the gardens, the orchards, the glorious palaces and temples, the shops and marketplaces, the houses, the public squares. Find the cornerstone, and under it the copper box that is marked with his name. Unlock it. Open the lid. Take out the tablet of Lapis Lazuli. Read how Gilgamesh suffered all and accomplished all. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cavalcade of Tales. As always, I'm your host, Drew, the millennial with a history degree. Um, A couple notes. Uh, First, sorry that I was absent last week and this episode's going up late. I have what the youth call neurodivergence or mental illness, and uh, some days it's hard to want to do anything, and so I didn't, the episode I had been planning has completely over exceeded my expectations, and I'm still working on the notes for it, so that's why I didn't upload last week because I was having mental health issues the week before and I didn't want to just push out a really rushed episode and then this week I'm I have new stuff at work so I was just very tired that's why this episode's still going up same day but it's a bit late and I apologize for any inconvenience um the keen-eared listener will realize I sound different and that's just um this is how I sound when I first wake up in the morning so you get some ASMR more baritone than I usually have. I'm gonna sound a bit more mask today. I I got coffee, y'all. There's a there's like a eighty percent chance that by the end of this, I'll sound normal. Like this is just how my voice does. But today we're ta- uh, tackling a huge topic. This is the Epic of Gilgamesh. It is the oldest epic poem in mankind. Uh, the current estimates uh, place the uh, time of it being put onto stone tablets at around 2750 BCE, which is about a thousand years before the Iliad or the Odyssey, for context. In addition, this was written in uniform on tablets, which is the first writing system. Um, in terms of what I'll be drawing from today, I'm drawing from the Stephen Mitchell translation of Gilgamesh, 
which was copywritten in 2004, but the paperback wasn't released until 2013. Um, there is a chance that I'm missing some info from the story because I know within the past like 10 years they have found another tablet of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, but it's kind of hard sometimes to figure out like exactly where all the tablets of the Epic of Gilgamesh are. There's been a lot of various... The story we have is incomplete as it is. And there's also a... What we have right now is 11 tablets, or at least the book I'm using goes off the original 11 tablets. There is technically a 12th tablet, but there's a general consensus among historians and translators that it was just tacked on because it deals with some of the themes and it uses characters from the Epic of Gilgamesh in order to explain a regular occurrence. So it's not necessarily a part of the story but was lumped together because they both starred, you know, Enkidu and Gilgamesh. Um, one of the other reasons I want to throw in here real quick, because I love to take a dig, is um, part of the reason we're having trouble with a lot of the uh, Epic of Gilgamesh story is because of places like Hobby Lobby, who bought hundreds of thousands of clay cuneiform tablets to try to make a museum of the Bible, and not only did that money go directly into funding different forms of terrorism, but it set back a lot of archaeological work in the in you know the Sumeria and the Fertile Crescent for probably a good five to ten years. So um, this is your uh, regular reminder: uh, fuck Hobby Lobby. Um, even if you want to, like I. And I don't care if that makes me advertiser unfriendly. Like, I don't want their fucking money. I don't want religious Christian fundamentalist money. They can just cram it up their ass. Um, yeah. Also, I apologize in advance. Um, just Woken Up Drew is going to be a lot more um, glib about his opinions. So, um, But apparently, the people I do know that listen love that. So be ready for some of that. So the cold open was the um, prologue to the story, which kind of sets up the direction the tale is going to go. Um, there are a bunch of parts I'm going to be omitting from my discussion of the tale to sort of make it flow a little easier. Uh, since it's an epic poem, it runs into things that you'll see in later epic poems, such as Beowulf and uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey, where it will repeat itself in rounds so like something will happen and it will be like um i'll there's like a like later in the story there'll be a part where he has a dream and he actually has four dreams in this sequence um and it's because repetition is an excellent way to remember a story and the story would have been told orally before it was recorded as most um, stories and epics poems are so I've cut out some of the repetition and I've cut out um, some of the like incredible going into detail that some of the stories do because this also um, like most epic poems although the overarching tale is about a singular hero there are a bunch of little myths that are embedded within which is just as someone who's has a history degree but only use it for folklorism. Um, just some good shit. 
So the beginning of the tale talks about uh, how Gilgamesh is two-thirds divine uh, because he is the son of Lugalbanda, who was a king who became a deity, and the goddess Ninsun. Um, real quick, I'm going to do my best. Uh, my ancient Sumerian is uh, non-existent, so I'm going to do my best to pronounce all these names. I'm going to tell you right now. His best friend, his name is Enkidu. I'm going to pronounce that 12 different ways, most likely. Um, but he is an arrogant king. He is, a, frankly, a spoiled brat. Um, one quote is, He does whatever he wants, takes the son from his father and crushes him, takes the daughter from her mother and uses her. The warrior's daughter, the young man's bride, he uses her. No one dares oppose him. And that's from book one. I have some quotes peppered in. I didn't do a super ton, but I thought it'd be cool. So one of the things is, is that he is a, he's sort of a dictator at the beginning, and the people cry out to the father deity, uh, Aru, or no, Anu. Sorry, I'm reading ahead accidentally. So they cry out to Anu being like, he is, we understand that, you know, we are mere mortals. We shouldn't be affecting in the matters of gods because Gilgamesh is two thirds a god. But you are the one who created man. You are the one who helped set up kingship. Is this how you wished for your people to suffer? Is this what you wished to people to expire to as a king? And he's like, okay, I hear you. I'll try to fix this. So what he does is he goes to his wife, the goddess Aruru. And she is the one who is like the divine goddess of creation. And he asks her to create an equal to Gilgamesh. Uh, this becomes a wild man known as Enkidu. Uh, he was essentially just plopped into the woods. He was this big hairy man. Um, in the translation I have, it talks about how his hair is long like a woman's. He is completely nude and he runs around on all fours with the animals. Uh, he lived in the woods with... Uh, the gazelle and the antelope and the deer until a trapper saw him and he ran to Gilgamesh being like there's a fucking wild man in the woods and he's breaking our traps so we can't have like deer meat and Gilgamesh is like this is what you're gonna do you're gonna go to the temple of Ishtar and you're gonna find the priestess Samhat she is uh, she practices ritual sex and will be able to turn the wild man into something that the animals will no longer follow. One of the really interesting things about this tale is that it um, uses the ritualized sex of Shamash. Shamat? Shamat. No, Shamash is a different character. Shamat as sort of like saying that one of the things that makes a human human is the enjoyment and the action of sex for reasons other than procreation which is partially true there are only, uh, monkeys humans and dolphins are the only species that have sex for fun um although it could be argued that dolphins have sex for evil because they are just the sexual predators of the sea but um yeah don't trust dolphins flipper will flipper would leave you for dead and fuck your corpse um this sounds like I have some grudge against dolphins. I don't. I just know that they're t fucking sexual predators. 
God, the tangents are really early. It's only in the first 10 minutes. Um, so what happens is, is that Shemat is brought into the woods. And uh, here is the excerpt from book one about her actions. She stripped her robe and lie there naked with her legs apart, touching herself. Enkidu saw her and warily approached. He sniffed the air. He gazed at her body. He drew close. Shamat touched him on the thigh, touched his penis, and then put him inside her. She used her love arts. She took his breath away with her kisses, held nothing back, and showed him what a woman was. For seven days he stayed a wreck and made love with her, until he had had enough. At last he stood up and walked toward the waterhole to rejoin his animals. But the gazelles saw him and scattered. The antelope and deer bounded away. He tried to catch up, but his body was exhausted. His life force was spent. His knees trembled. He could no longer run like an animal, as he had before. He turned back to Shemat, and as he walked, he knew that his mind had somehow grown larger. He knew things that an animal can't know. Um, this is a incredible um, theme, and I want to say there are other examples of it in mythology, but I can't think of them right at this moment. But this sort of, this is a very famous thing, the humanization of Enkidu through sex. It's, um, it's... It is a concept that's incredibly fascinating, and it also shows the importance of the ritualized sex that would be done at Ishtar's temples. One of the things you have to be careful of when thinking about the ritualized sex at Ishtar's temples is um, what we know of it from historical sources. Some of it is from the historian, uh, not Hippocrates... I always got to him. Herodotus was the, the creator of history. And what it is, is he's sort of a hostile witness and he doesn't fully understand what's going on. So he's the one who invented the temple prostitutes of Ishtar. Um, first off, we don't call them prostitutes anymore. Um, I think the best way I've heard it explained is uh, there's a bit in a Taylor Tomlinson comedy special where she's just like, you don't call sex workers prostitutes anymore. Calling a sex worker a prostitute is like calling a stand-up comedian a clown. You're not technically wrong, but you're still an asshole about it. Um, but the concept of ritualized sex in early re um, polytheistic religions is nothing new and nothing, like, groundbreaking. And the way that it is used to sort of, like, create humanity in a wild man as something incredibly fascinating um essentially the way it is used is that enkidu was essentially just like some fucked up bigfoot and then after he was you know experienced the pleasure of sex with another human he started to understand what civilization was he started to in the text it literally says he starts to understand the words that shamat is saying to him she tells him about Gilgamesh the and his tyrannical ways, but she also tells him that she believes that he could be uh, a prophesized equal and friend to Gilgamesh. So in Shamat's uh, Tales to Enkidu, you, we learn of one of the first of many prophetic dreams that is uh, given to Gilgamesh as two-thirds god. 
And what it is, is he has a dream about a massive boulder that no matter how he tries, he can't move it. So he begins to caress it and um, and touch it as though a man touches his wife, is how it's said. And he goes to his mother, Ninsun, and is just like, what does this dream mean? Because this is a common reoccurrence, is that Gilgamesh will have prophetic dreams from the other gods but won't understand how to interpret them and will look to others to interpret his dreams for him. So in this case, um, got another quote here. This is still book one. This huge boulder you cannot lift. It stands for a dear friend, a mighty hero. You will take him in your arms, embrace and caress him the way a man caresses his wife. He will be your double, your second self, a man who is loyal who will stand at your side through the greatest dangers. Um, there is, it's open to interpretation what some of this text means. Um, however, it is, the way this translation does it, and the way it specifically points out that this is the way a man caresses his wife, has always led me to believe uh, that they're going to fuck and that Enkidu is going to be a best friend and lover to Gilgamesh, which is, like, also such fucking goals. This could be just because I'm still in the throes of my mental illness making my life hell, but it's just, like, God, finding a partner who is both your best friend and can fuck? <sighs> goals. I need to get on the apps. Um, so Enkidu is interested and he's like i could he's like there will be a point where i will go fight gilgamesh and i will show him that i am man and that i am the man the manliest man and that i will accept him and his power if he will accept my power and so while in the interim he begins to learn about humanity with the shepherds and he sort of just hangs out until one day he sees the shepherd's son walking around a bit dejected and he's just like you seem dejected, but everybody else is prepping for celebration. Why is that? And he's like, today's my wedding. But what happens is, is that um, it is a decree of the gods that Gilgamesh will lie with every wife before the husband does. Um, mini quote here. From the moment the king's birth cord was cut, every girl's hymen belonged to him. This is from book two. And Enkidu is like, that's some hog shit. Why does the king get to fuck every girl who's under him? Uh, both figuratively and literally. I don't know what he's into. Um, though I bet he's kind of a freak. But that that's just... That's probably both my headcanon and my hyper-exposure to the Fate series, where Gilgamesh is the archer. Um quick tangent i guess because that's what this fucking show is after all um in the fate stay night franchise the fate stay night where whether it be the original unlimited blade works or heaven's feel um gilgamesh is the secondary archer in there um he is the he's often depicted as a incredibly toned man with blonde hair and incredibly arrogant um an interesting way 
and a thing I realized as I was, you know, re-thumbing through this in order to prepare for this episode is the way Fate, the Fate series does it, is that, because there are, in the app, Fate Grand Order, I'm not getting paid for any of this, but if they want to send me money, please fucking do. I've spent probably $1,000 on that fucking app in the three years I've had it. Uh, gotcha. I'm like, I have a problem. But, um, so they have two versions of Gilgamesh. They have a caster version and an archer version. The archer version is much more arrogant, a lot more cruel, and it kind of fits more along the lines of this Gilgamesh we meet at the opening. This sort of tyrannical king who takes what he wants and everything believes that all the wealth and glory of the world is his by his birthright. Whereas um, you meet Gilgamesh again in the series in the... So in the... To do a real quick TLDR of the fake Grand Order plotline, I've contemplated doing... Try to recall the plots for them and like doing kind of like a weave between the two where it's like a recall the plot and a mythos of, but that's a lot of work that I haven't done yet. But the TLDR is your, your character goes through the various points of history and has to fix what the demon king has fucked up in them and the seventh singularity is known as the absolute demonic front babylonia there um is a whole anime series on it on Crunchyroll if you have the subscription i'd highly recommend uh, the fate series is super fun and in that you meet gilgamesh as he was when he was the leader of uruk and um, he's a caster and he's a lot more affable because it takes place at the end of the epic where he's, you know, been humbled a bit. Yeah. After that tangent, um, back to the story. So, uh, Enkidu is like, I'm going to stop this king from fucking every woman. And so he goes and he blocks the door to the bride and Gilgamesh is incredibly pissed because this is who the fuck is this random guy who dares to oppose him and so they wrestle in the street like raging bulls however Gilgamesh is the stronger man and he throws him fucking Enkidu a couple feet and so they're painting and wheezing it's very homoerotic think um volleyball scene from Top Gun and but because Enkidu is like I see this is the power of the man who has been chosen to be king, the man who is two-thirds god. I can see now why you have the power to back up your convictions. And Gilgamesh is like, I like the compliments, and I also recognize you as someone who has you know, power that can rival my own. We're besties now. So in the book, it literally says that they kiss, they hold hands, and they walk off into the sunset. <laughs> okay, I made up the sunset part, but they literally just walk off. Um, so the next tale takes place a little bit later, and uh, Gilgamesh tells Enkidu that they are going to journey to the place known as the Cedar Forest, and they're going to slay Humbaba, the great monster, in order to use some of the lumber of the great forest. Enkidu is not fucking jazzed about this. He's like, I used to run with the animals. Everybody knows Humbaba is a terrible, fierce deity and is not meant to be trifled with. He is set there because the cedar forest is sacred to the god Enlil. And that to pick a fight is foolish. Gilgamesh says that he would rather meet a hero's end fighting a vicious monster 
than to die at home of old age and being a coward. Um, in I don't have the direct quote. I didn't pull it. I should have. But he's just like, they'll say Gilgamesh there. He died a great hero in combat with the fierce monster. And where was Enkidu? Oh, he was safe at home crying. So it, colloquially, essentially, he's just like, I'd rather die a hero than be like you. Stop being a pussy and come help me kill this guy. Uh, Gilgamesh, um, you can see that they're, you know, the people after Enkidu sort of like is essentially stonewashes him a bit. So he takes care of a lot of those rougher edges. You know, Gilgamesh is like, oh, elders of the city, keep my people prosperous and happy. Oh, warriors of the city, bless me so that I may emerge victorious and return to wine and dine with you once more. And Enkidu is like, elders, please tell Gilgamesh to fucking not be a crazy bitch and just abandon this quest and Gilgamesh is like okay what if we get really cool swords and like really cool weapons will you come with me if it, if we have really cool weapons and he could and Kidu finally resists so they get these massive weapons from the forge that are said to be like 600 pounds each and that own they're the type of incredible weapons that only Enkidu and Gilgamesh can wield so the final thing they do in Uruk before they go out to the cedar forest is that they make a prayer at the temple of Ninsun, who is Gilgamesh's mother. She is the goddess of wild cows, but she also is able to uh, speak with Shamash, the sun god, directly. And what she does is she goes to Shamash and she's like, oh, please protect my son. Um, he has been blessed with great power, but he's also been cursed with reckless bravery. Please protect my son as he goes into the cedar forest to kill Humbaba. Please also protect Enkidu, who I love as a son, my adopted son. And she gives him an amulet, and off they go. It's said that, that because, you know, they're heroes and they're divinely made, the six-week journey only takes them a few days. But what happens is, is that Gilgamesh has four prophetic dreams. This is where they start having that round where it'll be like Gilgamesh will create a salt circle, beseech the gods for a vision. A cold wind will blow. He will have a dream, wake up, freak out about the dream. And then Kidu will be like, this, this is what the dream means. So like the first one, there's like a mountain that falls upon him. And he's just like, this, this is terrible. It's a sign, an omen. And then we're fucked. And he's and Enkidu's like, calm your bitch tits. It's fine. Um, the falling of a great mountain means that we will be victorious in our quest to take down this great beast. And then the second dream, he's like, oh shit, oh fuck. Okay, there was this uh, giant serpent, like chimera looking fucking thing. And it attacked me and it was ripped apart by a silver man. Um, this is bad. We're going to get destroyed by this beast. And Enkidu's like, calm your bitch tits. It's that was a sign that Shamash is watching over us and protecting us and will ensure our victory against the great beast. And this happens a couple more times. One more where it's just, calm your bitch tits, this means that we're going to survive. And then, calm your bitch tits, that's Shamash protecting us. Until they get to the cave. And at the cave, that's when Enkidu starts to lose his nerve and he's like, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. We shouldn't be doing this like that he has like a flashback to his time as like a weird ass gazelle and it's just like no this is a bad idea and then and Gilgamesh is just like take heed have courage 
uh, we all do this together. Um, there's like an analogy where it's like three strands of a rope are stronger than one. Two ships that sail together return together, and other adages of like the their strength and numbers. So Enkidu is like, okay, I got this, and then Humbaba lets out a yell from his cave, and Gilgamesh is like, oh shit, and um is like okay maybe this is a bad idea and nkd is like bitch you just fucking said if we do this together we'll be fine now we're doing this together and we're both gonna be fine it's a really interesting dynamic where throughout this tale it shows an interesting side of heroes in my opinion where we don't always see that trepidation where it's just like oh if i have to go fight a big monster that's actually really fucking scary like you know a lot you know i know a lot of us who play video games like i'm a big gamer i love playing monster hunter and literally monster hunter is just you a little human fighting against big fuck off monsters and then harvesting their bits so that you can survive to fight more monsters and like if you think about it with like three seconds of logic that is fucking terrifying it is terrifying to look down the maw of a dragon it is terrifying to think about this giant beast that could kill you but heroism is in the deeds and in the oh, the overcoming of fear so they both they kick ass take names and Humbaba lies there bleeding and it's up to Gilgamesh to make the final kill and Humbaba's begging for his life like don't do this I will be a loyal servant um the gods will be pissed um and Enkidu's like do it do it do it do it do it and friggin' uh Gilgamesh is finally like okay we have to do this because if I let him live there's no telling what he'll do to us afterwards so he slices him and Humbaba curses the two Quote, because you have done this, may Enkidu die, may he die in great pain, may Gilgamesh be inconsolable, may his merciless heart be crushed with grief. This is book five. So once this is done, uh, they're they're a little bit shaken because a the testosterone and like adrenaline of you know fighting and killing a big fuck off beast, and then there's also the, um. They just got cursed, which is never a good plan. And if anybody knows your epic poetry, um, curses and prophecies always come to pass. So in order to try to help dissuade some of the, you know, godly vengeance upon themselves, Gilgamesh, you know, offers the heart to Shamash as a thanks for the protection. He then is like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to only chop the trees that we need. And then we're going to chop the great oak and fashion it into a door. And on our travels back, we will drop off that door at the city of Nippur. And it will become the new door to the temple of Enil. And it'll be such a powerful door that only the gods may enter. Um, so what they do is they take the, they make a raft and, and uh, Gilgamesh takes Humbaba's head as a trophy and Enkidu you know, pilots the raft and off they go home. So once they get home and Gilgamesh cleans himself up, um, he cleans up nicely, apparently, because then the goddess Ishtar swoops on down and she's like, sup, sup, what that dick do? Uh, you are a fine specimen of a man. You can kill 
you know, monsters. Um, you got a tight bod. Um, I've seen your work as the goddess of sexuality and fertility. And um, so um, you want to be my husband. You know, I can offer you great riches and desires among your thing. And Gilgamesh is like, okay, you can do that. However, what is the price I will pay once you're bored with me? And he he goes into a very long string of various other lovers of Ishtar and the sort of terrible fates that befell them when she became bored with them. He gives like five. It's not a great look for him because essentially what he does is he slut shames her and then it's just like, listen here, you big huts. Um, I'm not going to marry you because I've seen what happens to your other husbands when you get bored with them. Um, a quote from the book. You love the gardener Ushuluanu who would bring you baskets of fresh-picked dates every day to brighten your table. You lusted for him. You drew close and said, Sweet Ishalanu, let me suck your rod, touch my vagina, caress my jewel. And he frowned and answered, Why should I eat that rotten meal of yours? What can you offer but the bread of dishonor, the beer of shame, and thin reeds as cover when the cold wind blows? But you kept up your sweet talk, and at last he gave in. But you changed. You turned him into a toad and doomed him to live in his devastated garden. This is in book six. Um, so in essence, he's just like, it would be fun for a little bit, but once you were tired with me, I would be doomed. And um, that's not a good look for me, and I'm king, so I'm not going to do that. And now a quick moment to plug the Patreon. Hi, everyone. I know I haven't actually enabled ads yet. I keep forgetting, and then I buy some form of treat and then forget to set up the monetization part of this. But um, if you'd like um, ad-free episodes that will go up early when I'm not sad and watching videos on the internet that make me sad because bitch has problems, it's me, I'm bitches... Uh, you can support me at patreon.com slash cavalcade of tales uh, for five dollars a month you can help create a threat uh, discord community where we can tell stories and just you know be ourselves and ignore the impending heat death of the universe um and the financial crises clawing at the uh, american citizenry um and you can also join the book club <laughs> though we don't talk about book club book club uh, this month's book, as a reminder, is The Witch and the Czar by Olesa Salonokvica Gilmore. I butchered that name, and I am sorry, but it is an excellent book about Baba Yaga that takes place in, during the reign of uh, Peter the... Not Peter the Horrible. That's not his name. God damn it. Because it's Peter the Great is the Russian Czar that I was making. But it's Ivan the Terrible is the Czar. Um, it's really good. I've been reading it off and on um, because sometimes when you're sad, you just want to forget things. And um, I highly recommend it even if you don't join the book club. But um, yeah, that's you can get ad-free episodes, a uh, chance to ask questions. They'll be answered at the beginning of episodes and um, access to the book club if you join the Patreon. Uh, that website again is patreon.com slash cavalcade of tales. So Ishtar is rightfully pissed off because essentially she was just called a ruinous slut by the king. So she runs back up to 
Anu and Auraru and is just like, I want the bull of heaven so that I may kill Gilgamesh. And she's just, and she's like, he threw terrible insults at me and I want him dead. And Anu was just like, did he throw you insults for no reason or did you try to seduce him? And he said, no. And she's like, I fail to see how that's important to this conversation. Let me kill Gilgamesh with the bull of heaven or I will go down, break the doors of the underworld and flood the world of the living with the souls of the damned and dead. And they're just like, Jesus fucking Christ. And Anu is like, I will give you the bull of heaven. However, have you given Uruk enough grain and supplies as the fertility goddess so that when the bull causes the seven year famine that is associated with it i think the bull's name is gogliana if i'm remembering correctly it doesn't say it in the work i have but i believe that's the name of the bullet heaven is gogliana um because i learned it from the uh, fate babylonia series because ishtar is one of the goddesses and um she's not one of the best characters i fucking love ishtar i also have her in the mobile app and she's like i've maxed her out it's great anyway um and she's just like yes i've given them enough grain so they're so they relent and they allow the bull of heaven to go and she just sorts of six it on the city uh gilgamesh and enkidu go out to fight it they wrestle it down and they um viscerally tear it limb from limb um, they once again offer the heart to Shamash and then um, Ishtar comes and throws some insults and um, Enkidu is like fuck off and throws the hindquarters of the uh, bull at Ishtar uh, which is not a good look and is a sort of nail in the coffin as you will so once this is done Enkidu awakes and he's like I had a dream and it was the meeting of the gods and that we are to be punished for the killing of Humbaba and Gogliana. And since I threw the bull's ass at Ishtar, I will be killed and you will be made to suffer in the loss of me. And Gilgamesh is like, fuck. So Enkidu uh, just immediately falls ill. Yep turn in the page of my notes and fill in the dead air um so while he lays dying enkidu is justifiably annoyed at his situation you know he did because you know he was coaxed into killing humbaba essentially because gilgamesh kept calling him a pussy and then you know he's just like Ishtar got the bull of heaven under false pretenses and then I'm in trouble for throwing its ass at her and like on the one hand you shouldn't be throwing an ass at a god unless you want to throw ass at a god in a fun way but um this is ancient times and unfortunately uh in terms of throwing ass at gods um you're lucky if it's consensual um so Enkidu just starts cursing everyone he's like curse the fucking uh, shepherds who taught me humanity curse Shamat for t- you know taking me away from the animals may your cooch always be dry and the men be three pump chumps and you be sad and boils across your face and uh, every sexually transmitted disease we know of at this time fuck you bitch and then Shamash comes down and he's like hey, 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 hey. don't be an asshole just cause you're dying 
if Shemot had not taught you how to be human, you would have not met Gilgamesh, your most trusted friend who fucks you good. Because um, you guys are bros who fuck. Um, and that's not me editorializing. Well, I mean, the wording is editorializing, but like that's ev- there's multiple times in this word. They say that they lay down as man and woman. So they be fucking. And the way it sounds and the because of the original prophetic dream uh my best guess is gilgamesh is the top um but they could be verse i'm not here to judge and you know good on them um so enkidu is like um so enkidu is like why shouldn't i be pissy he's like and shamash is like gilgamesh will be so mad with grief that he and that not only will he ensure that you will get every beautiful right that you deserve, but that it will that your name will go down in history alongside his. And Gilgam and Enkidu is like, okay, I'm sorry I said all those things. Instead, I bless Shamat for bringing me to my trusted love, Gilgamesh. Uh, may the men who fuck you be gentle and loving. May you be lusted after by princes, and may you always orgasm and. Uh, the blessing of Ishtar be upon you in your name. Um, may the dicks be big, but not too big kind of thing. So after 12 days, Enkidu was um, in- just sicker and sicker. On the final day, he lost his sight. And he's like, Gilgamesh, have you forsaken me? Have you left me in my time? I needed you most. And Gilgamesh is like, bitch, I'm right here. And he's just like, Sometimes I can even hear his voice, and then he drops dead, and Gilgamesh fucking loses it. He is sad as hell. Um, for six days and seven nights, he mourns over the body of Enkidu before ritualistic um, can be done in order to ensure his departure to the underworld. Um, the only reason it stops after uh, six days and seven nights is because a maggot falls out of Enkidu's nose, which really rattles Gilgamesh and it comes up a lot (laughs) so Gilgamesh is like um, I want all the craftsmen making a large golden monument to a Kendu I want him you know in the most luxurious of silks for his burial I want no expenses paid I want I will give every treasure that is to my name essentially what he does is he's like I will spend all of the surplus that I have gotten as king in order to ensure that Enkidu is remembered, memorialized, and has the best afterlife he can have. And he's like, I think that one of the interesting things is like, in, it's not explicitly put, but like you can read that he's giving up all his, Gilgamesh is giving up worldly possessions. This is not him taking from the people. This is, or it's, slash it's him giving the money and stuff he's taking back from the people to them for these services to be like make my friend comfy in the underworld and then he his hair is matted he's wearing a dirty lion's cloth and he just his face is emaciated and he just he's like i can't end up like enkidu just dying sad in a bed crying out for the people who love me i'm gonna need to find a way to not die so he sets out for Morok to look for the, the old man, Utnapishtim, who is granted immortality from the gods. And this is a very long journey. So he goes and he 
goes to the Twin Peaks, which are two massive mountains near the end of the world where he meets the two scorpion guards. And the scorpion guards are just like, dude, you're not scared of us. We're giant fucking scorpions. And he's just like, I see death around every corner. I am the hero Gilgamesh who slayed uh, Humbaba and who wishes to seek the uh, powers of immortality so that I may not meet the same fate as my beloved friend. I'm saying this whole mantra once. By the end of the story, he will say this like six or seven more times because he says it like that to everybody he meets again because of that that repetition of making it easier to remember being like Gilgamesh met a new person I am Gilgamesh I am the king of Uruk I have slayed Humbaba I am the great king I am looking for the secrets of immortality I fear death I have mourned my friend for six days and seven nights until I saw a maggot fall out of his nose that traumatized me I don't want to (laughs) die So the two scorpions are like, okay, cool. Um, We appreciate your honesty and your (laughs) self-introduction. And uh, we appreciate your bravery. Uh, So here is what it is. So there is a valley between the Twin Peaks. And you have to reach the other end within 12 hours. Or you will be burnt to death by the sunrise. Do that and you'll be able to reach the uh, dead... Is it the dead river? What is it called? The waters of death. And then once you cross the waters of death, there you will find the shack of Utnapishtim and his wife. I wrote his name, this guy's name down like seven times in my notes to make sure I pronounced it properly. And so he runs and he, it barely makes it before being burnt alive by the sun. He, he like crosses the threshold at like 11 hours and 58 minutes and he finds the he finds a tavern near the waters of death and it is being um tended by the barkeep Shidri um and she's just like whoa shit she locks the doors gets on the roof and Gilgamesh is like I would love something to eat um why do you bar the door to me I'll break your doors down and she's like I barred the door cuz clearly you're a fucking wild man and threatening to break my doors down doesn't help your case that much and he's like, I'm no wild man. I am Gilgamesh, scared of death, king. And she's like, you look like a bitch shit to be a king. And he's like, I'm scared of death and I've been traveling so that I can gain the secrets of immortality from Utnapishtim. And Sidri's like, well, that's a dumb fucking goal. Uh, humans are born to live and die. And you who have been given such privilege should have, instead of given up, you know, why would you prolong your mourning? I don't think this is what Enkidu would have wanted for you. And he's like, what the fuck do you know about what the dead would want for me? And off he goes. So he gets to the edge of the waters of death and he sees two stone golems. And in a uh, act first, uh, think it through later, he immediately kills the two golems. Once the two golems are dead, um, the servicemen of Utnapishtim, Urushanabi, comes out and he's just like, who the fuck are you? And he's like, I am Gilgamesh filthy emaciated scared of death and he's just like well you don't look like much of a king and he's like i what part of emaciated from my fear of death did you not understand and he's like well you're filthy and gross don't you know stay downwind and he's like i want to see Utnapishtim to gain the secrets of immortality and he's like well that's gonna be real fucking hard to do because you just killed the ferryman you dumb asshole and he's like oh can i just swim across i'm you know two-thirds god and um 
Urashinabi is like, uh, you could try and you'll die because these are the waters of death. They didn't get that name because they were found by Sir Seymour Death. Um, the only being who can cross the waters without dying is Shamash, and that's because he can literally fucking fly. And Gilgamesh is like, shit, what do I do? And Urashinabi is like, okay, I need you to go into the woods and cut down 300 pole and make 300 like ferryman poles of wood and that with those i'll be able to ferry you across and gilgamesh is like can do he finishes the task and he's like okay you're gonna push the boat forward with the stick and when you can't uh, the water's gonna eat away at the stick and when you can't push the boat any further with the stick you're gonna drop it because you don't want to accidentally touch any of the water and start a new one that's the reason i needed you to make 300 of these we got a bit of a fucking trek so Gilgamesh finally gets across and he meets Utnapishtim and Utnapishtim's this old man because, you know, he's fucking older than dirt. Um, and that's not a, that's not even a lie. And Gilgamesh is like, old man, I'm looking for Utnapishtim. And Utnapishtim's like, who the fuck's asking? He's like, I am Gilgamesh, sad, covered in dirt, tired, <laughs> scared of death. I'm looking for the secrets of immortality. Utnapishtim's like, why the fuck would you want to be immortal? This sucks. <laughs> he's just like, you... He's like, you're squandering your gifts. You have been blessed by the gods, being both two-third god, and also being a king. And he's like, your people have grown to love you. Enkidu would not have wanted you to throw away all the blessings you've been given and the gifts of life that you have in order for this dumbass search for immortality. And Gilgamesh is just like, dude, a maggot fell out of his fucking nose. I can't. I'm so scared. So Utnapishtim is like, okay, you want to be immortal? This is how I became immortal, to give you an idea of the scope of shit you have to do. So at this point, I'm going to cut a few details because there's like, this is a majority of this book of it. Uh, Utnapishtim tells Gilgamesh the story of how he became immortal. And what it is, is how there was a great flood that Enlil wanted to flood the earth. The humans were gross and stupid and you know, not worshipping the gods properly. So, there was a council of gods, however, who were just like, we can't let all the humans die who's going to worship us and, like, run to Costco's for snacks. <laughs> you know, the ancient Babylonian Costco. We literally gave them the ability to write so that they could do math so that they could bring back my proper change because I want Funyuns. And so, Aya, the trickster god, was like, Utnapishtim. I have heard that there's going to be a storm coming. You should uh, build your house, uh, build a shelter this way. It's going to suspiciously look like a boat, but it'll be a good idea. And then when the rain starts, you and your family should get inside this shelter and you'll be okay. So essentially it's like, th it's Noah's Ark before Noah. Because it's one of the little things that, you know, the Abrahamic religions just sort of are like, we could use this and just change some of the names and that it's not plagiarism because we changed enough of it. And nobody's going to catch us until a fucking jaded millennial will point this out in 2023. So after the flood, um, Enlil was pissed because he's like, why the fuck are there humans on my planet? And Aya is just like, well, it was dumb for you to kill all humans. Who's going to run and get us Funyuns? And Enlil is like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to make Utnapishtim and his wife immortal. 
so that they're no longer human. And therefore, I wiped out all humans. Because this is important to me. And Utnapishtim is like, it took the interference of gods in order for me to become immortal. You, and it's like, so you're going to have to overcome some shit too. He's like, first, you're going to battle against the basic need to sleep. If you can stay awake for seven days straight, then I will help you on your quest for immortality. Gilgamesh is like, easy enough. Uh, he leans up against the wall and immediately falls the fuck asleep. And Utnapishtim is like, he's like, wife, come look at this. And she's like, he's like, look at this fucking shit. And he's like, I'm just going to wake him up. And his wife's like, no, he was clearly tired. If he could just conk right the fuck out after leaning there, let him sleep. And Utnapishtim's like, okay, but I need to show that the passage of time has happened. So what we're going to do is you're going to make a new loaf of bread every day. And I'm going to line them up next to him until he wakes up so he can't be like oh well how do you know i was asleep for you know x amount of days it's like well because that loaf is gross as hell because that was the first day you fell asleep and it's been six days (laughs) so sure enough seven days pass instead of staying awake for seven days gilgamesh slept for seven days which i mean like is fair he he did a lot of fucking traveling he traveled he ran across he ran through a valley not to be burnt by the sun he pushed himself and a ferryman across a boat he yelled at a barkeeper <laughs> Gilgamesh confirmed Karen <laughs> asshole to service workers um and then so he wakes up and he's just like I I was just resting my eyes I haven't been asleep that long and Utnapishtim is like look you see how hard this bread is he's like yeah he's like that's because it was made seven days ago when you first fell asleep He's like, that one's crusty, that one's starting to mold, like, bitch, you've been asleep for seven days. And Gilgamesh is like, fuck. And Utnapishtim's like, we'll clean you up, you did your best, you're still a king, and like, wouldn't it be better to live a king than to be an immortal asshole like me, because I'm problematic? And his wife is just like, well, he came all this way, there's certainly something we should be able to give him. And Utnapishtim's like, god damn it, fine. Okay, dig a hole to the waters of the great deep in there there is a thorned plant that contains the secret of youth you're not going to be immortal but it will re-give you your vitality and you'll live a, a good chunk of time longer and gilgamesh is like thank you um so he big, digs a big hole he ties rocks to his feet and then just sinks himself uh finds the plant cuts off a bit and then he cuts the ropes to the rock so he just shoots back up to the surface because this is 2700 bce and they don't know what the bends is so the pressure won't kill him also because it's a fucking story (laughs) so he's just like yes let's do this i will and so i just said his name Urashanabi is like, okay, let's cross the waters again. And Gilgamesh thanks Utnapishtim, and Utnapishtim is like, um, I appreciate the visit, but we live on the edge of the world for a fucking reason, so please make sure that no humans come here again. <laughs> and Gilgamesh leaves, he has the plan, he's really excited, and then I will read you... It's not the very end of the story, but uh, what the sort of uh, Alanis Morissette... Uh, isn't it ironic at 400 miles they stopped to eat at a thousand miles they pitched their camp gilgamesh saw a pool of cool water he left the plant on the ground and bathed 
A snake smelled its fragrance. Stealthily, it crawled up and carried the plant away. As it disappeared, it cast off its skin. That is from book 11, the final book that counts for this. And so one way to look at this is the entire Epic of Gilgamesh is a way to explain why snakes shed their skin. It's because they stole the plant of youth from Gilgamesh, so they will shed their old skin and gain a new, younger form. Uh, Gilgamesh is rightfully upset because he finds the snake skin, realizes the plant is gone, and he's like, Utna, uh, not Utna pitched him, god damn it. Urushanabi, I've done all of this for nothing. And Urushanabi's like, well, we're not going back. And Gilgamesh is like, I know, we can't go back. I can't dig another hole to the deep because it's only being, you can only access it from the edge of the world. And so he goes back and um, Urushanabi is like, what's this place? And Gilgamesh is like, oh, this? This is Uruk, my great city. And um, the sort of implications is that like Urushanabi is like, you dumb asshole, this is how you'll stay immortal through the great city and the acts that you have done. This is your immortality. And that is the end of the Epic of Gilgamesh. And that's this week's episode. Uh, thank you all for listening and bearing with me while my brain decides to make me be sad for and no other reason other than it's pure owned sport. Um, I have a few episodes planned out for the next couple weeks. I don't know what order they're going to be in because one of the notes has been a fucking nightmare and has literally taken me three weeks to work on. Um, that's how in-depth it is. And ugh, I don't even know. I might have to split it into two episodes at this rate. I have no idea. But um, there's stuff on the docket. Um, I'm going to do my best to uh, continually, you know, actually stick to the schedule, you know, release the episodes on Patreon on Sunday, and then the regular episode upload <coughs> on, sorry about that cough, on um, Tuesday at midnight. Um, but I thank you all for your patience with me. Um, if I do need to... Pr- postpone episodes um, I'll make sure to post about it on Instagram or TikTok where you can find me at white trash historian um, I highly recommend if you want to you can probably find the epic of Gilgamesh on uh, Project Gutenberg or something I I give it a read I cut out some details but it's it's interesting um, obviously it's not super appropriate for all audiences because there is a lot of fucking and murder but um that what makes a good story. All right. Um, thank you guys as always. And I'll see y'all next week. Bye.